Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Today, here in Chutz Oritz, it is Erev Shabbos Parshas Shlach. So today's shir will be at Dvar Torah on that Parsha. Let me share the screen, and we begin. Of course, Parsha Shlach is mostly taken up by the story of the Maraglim. The Maraglim, the spies who were sent into Eretz Yisrael to check it out before the B'nai Yisrael would attempt to conquer it. They went, they, they did their mission, they came back, and they gave some very discouraging words to the people who began to cry and they lost hope and uh, a very tragic event in Jewish history. I'd like to discuss a Pasuk and a Rashi comment, which is in the aftermath of this whole story. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe and to Aaron, that he is going to take some punitive action against the people for what they did. And it says in Pasuk Chavav, Perak Yudalit Pasuk Chavav, Hashem el Moshe v'yal Aaron lemor. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron. Ad Mosai la'eda hara'ohazois. For how long must I put up with this eda hara'oh, with this bad congregation? that they cause complaints, they cause the complaints of the B'nai Yisrael. Those complaints that they are causing the people to complain to me, Shomati, I have heard them. And I am going to take action against them who cause the complaining, and I'm going to take action against the people who complained. And Rashi here says, Who is this Eda Hara'oh? Now, one might have thought that the word Eda, congregation, refers to the entire congregation of Kla Yisrael. But Rashi says, This refers to the Maraglim. We'll talk in a moment why he says that. And now he adds a halacha. He says, from here we derive that an Ada, that a congregation, has to be at least 10 people. Now, first, a general principle. The author of the famous Chumash Torah Tamima, which is a collection of many, many drushes chazal, many, many of the rabbis' um, drushes, many of the explanations of Sukkim that can be found in Midrash and Gemara. The author of that compilation, Rav Baruch Halevi Epstein Zatzal, he writes in his introduction that if you look at Rashi's commentary on the Chumash, Rashi leaves out literally thousands of halachas. There are thousands of halachas that, that the Gemara and the Midrash derive from various sukkim, and Rashi does not mention them. And the reason he says is quite simple, because Rashi 
states many times <clears throat> that his purpose in writing his commentary was to explain the Pshutai Shal Mikra, to explain the simple and direct meaning of the Pasuk. He did not come to teach us halachas, although it's true. It is certainly true that if one would learn through the entire Chumash with Rashi, one would come away with a lot of very good halachic knowledge in many different facets and areas of halacha. But that was not Rashi's major intent. His intent was to explain the simple meaning of the Pasuk. So there are certainly places where the Torah is very directly telling us a halacha. Of course, Rashi will will comment on that. Rashi will clarify that for us. But otherwise, Rashi leaves out the halachas. And therefore, it is incumbent on us, now I'm speaking now, not the Torah Tamima, but it is incumbent upon us that any time that Rashi starts talking about halacha, we really have to take a look and see, is that halacha implicit in the Pshutai Shalmikra? And if not, then we have to ask, why would Rashi mention it? Now here, mikan le'eda shehi asara, from here we learn that a congregation consists of 10 people, would not seem to be implicit in the simple meaning of the Pasuk. The Psukim here are talking about the Maraglim. Uh, this halacha, mikan le'eda shehi asara, is mentioned in the Gemara in two contexts. One context is the idea of a minion for, for Tefillah B'Tzibor, for Kaddish, Kedusha, etc., that a minion consists of 10. And the other context is in the laws of Sanhedrin, as we'll see right now. Let's take a look at the Gemara, beginning of Masechta Sanhedrin. So the Mishnah says that there is such a thing called the Sanhedrin Gedolo. There is the great Sanhedrin, the highest court in Jewish law, which consisted of 71 members. And there was also something called the Sanhedrin Katana, a slightly lower uh, level of court. And that had 23 members. So the mission itself asks, from where do we know that the Sanhedrin Katana consisted of 23 judges? As it says in a Pasuk, this Pasuk is talking about someone who accidentally murdered someone and the victim's family are very likely to come chasing after this murderer and perhaps will kill him unjustifiably since it was only an accident that it happened. So the Pasuk says that the congregation must judge the murderer and they have to save, the congregation has to save him from the Goyel Hadam, from that very angry family member of the victim. Now, it says, So the, so the Mishnah says, an Ada does the judging, and an Ada does the saving. So we have here 20, because an Ada consists of 10. And from where do we know this point? That the word Ada refers to 10 people? Shinemar, as it says, our Pasuk here in Ma'isimaraglim, for how long must I suffer the misbehavior of this bad Ada? Now, in fact, there were 12 Miraglim, but the Mishnah says, Yatsu Yeshua v'cholev. Yeshua and Kolev are out. They're not, they're not considered Ada Haro'ah. They were good. So when it says, so that shows us 
that an Ada consists of 10 people and my nafkamina, why is it important to know that the word Ada refers to 10 people? Because now we can figure out how many people are going to be in a Sanhedrin Kitana. It's going to be an Ada plus another Ada is 20. And the Mishnah goes on to explain how you get the other three. Now, so it comes out that this halacha is a halacha in Hilchis Sanhedrin. Why, in the middle of Parshish Maraglim, would Rashi remind us of a halacha in Hilchis Sanhedrin? Hazal, we know, we know that they, they could always look at different psukim in different areas, and they could derive different halachas. That's how the Torah works. But Rashi was explaining Pshutei Shal Mikra. It seems odd, it seems out of character, that he would mention this halacha, which is about an entirely different topic, and therefore would not seem to be Shutai Shalmikro. The answer, I believe, is that first of all, we have, as we mentioned before, these words, could very well be referring to the entire congregation. That's certainly a, not an unreasonable thought. And in fact, Rashi, at the beginning of his statement, he establishes that that's not so. But you see that it was a, a reasonable proposition, enough that Rashi had to tell us that it isn't so. He says, Elo HaMaraglam. That's the first thing Rashi says. Eda HaRoa Zeis refers to the Maraglam. How did Rashi know that, first of all? Well, this phrase, Asher Hema Malinimalai, means that the, these people, this Ada, causes complaints. So we're not talking about the actual complainers, which was Klal Yisrael in general. We are talking about those who caused the complaints. Who are the people that caused the complaining? That is Elu HaMaraglim. That refers to the Maraglim. They are the one who went to Israel and they saw certain things which in their eyes were discouraging. They came back and they caused everyone else to complain. Now it is very common, and I ask you to please keep your eyes open from now on, very common that when Rashi begins a comment with a little, what I call a kvius, where he establishes a certain shot, like over here he begins very much the kitzer with just a couple of words. He says, he establishes Elohamaraglam. These are the Maraglam. Very often Rashi will then bring a support to his words, and very often that support is not in the Pusik that he is working on. It may not be, it might be in a Pusik much later or even in a different part of Tanakh, not in the Chumash at all. And sometimes the support is from a Midrash or a Gemara, which, is, which may not really be relevant to the simple shot in the Pusik, but they prove or support Rashi's point. And I think that's what Rashi is doing here. He says, Elo HaMaraglim, Although the word Ada tends to make you think of a large congregation, but here it refers only to the Maraglim, and now he brings a little proof, a little support. Because Chazal say, because the Mishnah in Sanhedrin says, Mikan la shehi asara. From here we learn that an Ada in Hilcha Sanhedrin has to have 10 people. What do we see from this little snippet of the Mishnah? We see that the Chachmei HaMishnah, that the rabbis of the Mishnah also understood that the word Ada in this Pasuk is not referring to the whole congregation of Yisrael, but rather it's referring to this relatively small group 
of ten miraglim. So when Rashi says mikan Eda shehi asara, he's not really interested in that halacha per se at this point. Of course, when he is explaining the Gemara and the Mishnah in the Sechle Sanhedrin, of course Rashi takes it with all seriousness and explains whatever needs to be explained. But here he's not really concerned about this halacha per se, but he is using this halachic statement of our Chachamim to support his contention that the word Ada in this Pasuk is referring to a small group of just 10 people. This is all on what I call the technical level. We're explaining up till now the simple reading of Rashi's words, how he knew that his words are correct and how he proved or supported the correctness of his words. But I'd like to go to what I call the content level. There is a very important question that needs to be raised on this Rashi, and that is that in order to serve on a Sanhedrin, one cannot be a Russia. An evil, sinful person is disqualified from serving on any base den, and certainly on the Sanhedrin Katana, which was almost the highest level of court in Jewish law. And therefore, how could Chazal learn out the halachas of Sanhedrin, of how many people sit on a Sanhedrin Katana, how could they learn out that halacha from the Meraglim? The Meraglim were Rishoyim. They perpetrated a very evil deed, and because of their deed, Klal Yisrael all began to complain, and they, they lost hope. They decided they don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael, and the consequences were, were devastating. They had to stay in the Midbar for another 38 years, and, and the, that's really the root of the destruction of the Beis Amikdash, and it's terrible. So how could you say that the paradigm of a person, of a group of people who could serve on the Sanhedrin, is the Miraglim? This question is raised by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I'm sure among others, in Likute Sichais, Chelek Lamed Gimel, you can find this Sicha of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe answers with a Hasidic teaching that goes all the way back to the Alter Rebbe, and it really is found in, 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 in Sorum even before that. In general, in, if you look at almost any Hasidic Sefer, you will see a new look at the Miraglim. We generally go through the Psukim about the Miraglim, and, well, they were probably great men. They were chosen by Moshe Rabbeinu. They sat on the same committee with Yoshua and Kolev, who were certainly great. But our general picture of the Miraglim is not very positive. But Hasidish thought teaches us that the Miraglim, not only were they very great men, but their intention in what they did was a very high and pure intent. It is the, the reason why they badmouthed Eretz Yisrael, the reason why they discouraged the people from going to Eretz Yisrael is not because they lacked trust and faith in a Kodesh Baruch Hu, not because they wanted to do something against a Kodesh Baruch Hu's will, not because of anything selfish, but rather what Hasidus teaches us is that these were very extremely spiritual people. And they were living in the Midbar, which was an extremely purely spiritual atmosphere. The Jews in the Midbar didn't have to go to work. 
the mun came down every morning to feed you. You had the Anani HaKovayd to protect you and to provide a very spiritual aura. And what did you do all day? You studied Torah with Moshe Rabbeinu and you davened. It was a purely spiritual environment. And these Miraglim wanted to stay in that environment. They felt that that's the best way to serve a Kodesh Baruch And they were concerned that if they and if all the Bnei Yisrael would go to Eretz Yisrael, what would their lives be like? In Eretz Yisrael, although Eretz Yisrael is very spiritual, but in Eretz Yisrael you have to plow the fields and plant the fields and harvest the fields and build a home, and you live with a lot of Gashmias. They didn't want that. They wanted to live with pure Ruchnias, pure spirituality. And therefore, Hasidus teaches us that's why they discourage the people from going to Eretz Yisrael. Now it's true, they made a mistake. Because the truth is, Chodesh Baruch Hu does not want us to be in an entirely spiritual environment permanently. Yes, in the Midbar, that was a sort of an incubation period. But the long-range plan for Am Yisrael is to live a spiritual life within a materialistic environment. Our job is to be Mekadesh, is to sanctify. Okay, I found this on the web. Our job is to sanctify the material, not to live in the clouds, not to live in an entirely spiritual environment. That was the mistake of the Maraglim. If this is the case, explains the Rebbe, so now we can understand why the paradigm of a member of Sanhedrin is the Maraglim. The Maraglim were Tamid Chachamim, they were very spiritual people, they were Sadiqim, they are certainly the kind of people that could serve on a Sanhedrin. And therefore, from this Pasek, how long do I have to put up with this bad congregation, which refers to the Maraglim, we can derive the number 10. And then we can say, the, the Sanhedrin Katana needs one group of 10 and another group of 10, another three to even it out. And now we know how many people sit on the Sanhedrin Katana. As beautiful as this thought from the Rebbe is, I hesitate to say that this is really the Pshat in Rashi. Why? Because Rashi doesn't mention this idea that Hasidus teaches us. Rashi never says, never talks about how great the Maraglim were. He doesn't really talk much about their motivation for what they did. The simplicity, if you look at the Psukim, is that they, they lacked in Bitochen in HaKadosh Baruch Therefore, I think if we're going to learn Pshat and Rashi, I think we have to go in a slightly different direction. It's not entirely different, but a little bit different. If we look at the Miraglim, what sin did they actually do? Did they steal? Did they commit acts of immorality? Did they eat non-kosher food? Did they fail to put on their tefillin or fail to put tzitzis on their clothes? None of the above. I think we can say, metaphorically, that they observed all of the laws in the Shulchan Aruch, even though the Shulchan Aruch had not yet been written. They were pious Jews. They were observant Jews. 
and they throughout this whole story, despite its tragic consequences, they did no actual sin, even though they spoke Lashon Hara on Eretz Yisrael. Where does it say in the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam that you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara on Eretz Yisrael? The, the Avera, the prohibition of Lashon Hara, is to speak Lashon Hara about another Jew, about a person, not about a land. It doesn't say in the Halacha that thou shalt not speak Lashon Hara about the land of Yisrael. So therefore, yes, they were, technically, they were tzaddikim. And we could say that if they, if their number was 10, and they're called an Ada, we can use that fact in order to figure out how many people one must have to, to, to form a Sanhedri Kitana. They were absolute tzaddikim. But on the other hand, look at what happened because of them. Look at the trap that they fell into. And there's a tremendous lesson here, and that is that a Jew can fulfill every chapter and every, every sif and every sif cotton in the Shulchan Aruch. He's still, there's still something called the spirit of the law, and there's still something called the Ratzon Hashem, which may not be stated in the Shulchan Aruch. Yes, these Baraglim put on their tefillin and daven and ate kosher and they did everything that the Shulchan Aruch requires, but they did not act in accordance with the will of Hashem, which is expressed throughout Chumash, that the will of the Shem is that Hashem wants to take us out of Mitzrayim and bring us where? To Eretz Yisrael. They were missing that fulfillment of Hashem's will, which is really, in a sense, the spirit of the law. So we see a person can do everything right by the book and still be extremely lacking. And that's something that we have to work on in ourselves, that not only should our observance of the Shulchan Aruch be meticulous, it definitely should be. But in addition, we have to train ourselves to live with an eye for the Ratzon Hashem, to live in a way that fulfills Hashem's will and that fulfills the, the flow of Jewish history. Not easy, but this is the task that I think we are learning from this Pasuk and this Rashi comment. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph, author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash minagainbemore.